Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into God's presence. Thank you, Anita, Ronald, Christine, and Mike. For leading us today. Good morning, church. It is so good to be with you. Um, even though it's virtual, I really enjoy our times of worshiping together. And I hope that these times for you are not just watching a service, but actually worshiping God together. So it's good to be with you today. I wanted to thank everybody for their prayers for me. I have fully recovered and feeling great. Only had minor symptoms, and so I'm thankful for that. Um, I was also able to finally get a haircut this week. It had been getting a little long and unruly, um, waited for the lines to go down, and so I'm thankful um, for that as well. But I do know this has been a challenging time for so many in our city, um, for so many of you, and for all of those in our city right now that are directly impacted. And in some ways, we all are. And so as a community, we need to remind ourselves that we don't have to go through this together, um, that we can go with it together with one another and to be looking for those who might be isolated, those who are specially hurting. Um, it's a season to lean on each other as we walk through this together. Now, we are in our third week of the I Am series, and we've been looking at these statements that Jesus makes about who he is. And I want to invite you, if you're not doing the daily readings, to pick that up, to start that today. It's a great way to spend daily time with God in the Gospel of John and then in the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, because God has something to speak to us um, through his word for today and the things that they're walking, that we are walking through. So some context for the scripture today in John 13, before we get to John 14, Jesus has just had the last supper in John 13 with his disciples. He's washed their feet. He's given them this beautiful act of love, of serving one another. But he's also shared with them that he's going to be journeying to the cross and his disciples are upset. He's told them that, you know, he's going away and they can't go to the place that he's going. They're in distress. Jesus has predicted Peter's denial. He's, he's predicted that he'll be betrayed. And so it's in this tense, sort of mournful and sad environment that we jump into John 14 today. I've asked Christiani to read today's scripture. So let's follow along as she reads for us. A reading from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, from the NIV version. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If there were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right. Thank you, Christiani, for that reading. And let's jump in and unpack these verses today. So verse one there, 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So he recognizes that his disciples are troubled. He's told them what's ahead for him, that he's going away, and they're anxious about that. And he wants to comfort them. He wants to connect their belief in God to a belief in him. He's very clear in the Gospel of John about who he is and his mission, and he's helping them to make that leap. They've believed in God, now believe in him. He's helping them to see that connection because a belief in Jesus can help you in a difficult time, just as it helped the disciples when he told them that. He goes on to verse 2, and he says, My father's house has many rooms. And I love this phrase here, this father's house. It really has a double meaning. And so I want to unpack this. Later in chapter 14, Jesus talks about going away and coming back and sending his spirit. He's going away at the, at the crucifixion and coming back after the resurrection. And he's sending his Holy Spirit. So that's, that's one of the meanings where he's talking about going away. And the other time that Jesus uses this word father's house, we actually see this earlier in John, in John 2.16, where he's saying, stop turning my father's house into a market. This is where he confronts what was happening at the temple. So this father's house is an image to the temple. And remember from previous teachings that temple is really this heaven meets earth space. When the Jewish people were in the temple, it wasn't like they were symbolically in heaven. They thought, we are in God's presence. We are in this heaven space. And we know that Jesus brings fully this heaven to earth. That's his prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus brings these two things together, this present age and the age to come. So he makes this reference of Father's house, which is temple. But he also makes this reference, I think has a double meaning, to also be talking about heaven and this new world, this new place, this new Jerusalem, this new heaven and this new earth that begins with Jesus. It begins now, he says, in his life, beginning of the kingdom of God is now. It's not just this far off place one day. You can actually begin to live in this place right here and right now. So he's making this promise, this reassurance to his disciples that he is not going to be going away forever. And he continues in verse 4, you know the place to where I am going. And Thomas says, I love the, the function of questions, both in chapter 13 and 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? See, Thomas's chief concern was, how do we go with you, Jesus? We want to be with you. How do we do that? Can they go with him? And Jesus gives this profound response in verse 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a bold claim from Jesus. He's letting them know that they can, in fact, and will eventually go with him because Jesus 
is that way. Jesus is the means of that happening. He says, I am the way. I am the road to the Father. I am the way that you will connect with God. And he says, I am the truth. Later times, truth would be a word associated, a title for God, and and Jesus is the embodiment of truth. There is nothing in Jesus that is not true. There is nothing in God that is not true. He is all truth. So wherever we find truth, we find God. Because he is the way. He is the truth. And what else did he say? He is the life. Now, next week, we're going to look at John 10, where Jesus talks about having abundant life, life to the full. And we'll talk about what does that look like. But he says, if you want to have life, come to me. Life to the full. And finally, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the means of the connection to God. He is the gate, and that word gate, again, will be next week when Jesus says, I am the gate. So what does this mean? This is an exclusive claim that Jesus is making here in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Now, I've had people ask me both in the church and outside the church various questions about this. Well, what happens with everybody that was alive before Jesus was on earth doing his ministry before Jesus died and was risen from the, from the dead. How are they saved? What about those who pass away before they have an ability to follow Jesus? What, what happens to them? How are they saved? How are people saved that have never heard of Jesus? How are those with intellectual disability saved who maybe aren't able to connect with the idea of a Lord and Savior? And maybe you've had these questions too. And let me try to jump in with some answers to that. One, I would say this verse, all of those people can be saved through Jesus They aren't saved because of their innocence as a young child. They aren't saved because of bad timing. They were here before Jesus. They aren't saved because of, of, you know, ignorance of never hearing of Jesus. Jesus is still the means of salvation. They were all saved through Jesus. Romans 1 and 2 talks about this general revelation about God. For those who have never heard of Jesus... They still have this concept of God. And we see this in cultures around the world through, through all the ages that people have this sense that there is a God. And Romans 1 and 2 talks about this. And there's this acknowledgement of you, acknowledging this God that you've never heard of, you don't know who it is. There's, there's this hint that Paul gives us that there is still a way of salvation through Jesus for them. We see Paul himself doing this when he's in Athens and he looks around at all the statues of the various gods and he sees this one statue that says this is a statue to an unknown god. See, Athens believed in all sorts of things and and Paul uses that as an opportunity to say, let me tell you about this unknown god. Let me tell you about Jesus and who he is. Now, how does this work? Scripture is clear that the means of salvation is through Jesus Christ. 
he is still the means of salvation, even if maybe the person has never heard of him. And how does that work? You know, the simple answer is we don't know. We are not the people. We are not the person who will be in that place of judgment, of determination. Thank goodness we are not there. But who is there? Jesus himself. And there's nobody else I would want to be making those decisions because we know who Jesus is. He is full of grace. He is full of truth. Scripture tells us that God is love. He is just and he is merciful. He is trustworthy. And so we can leave those types of decisions in his care. And I'm comfortable leaving them in his care, knowing of his goodness. So that's part of this verse is this claim that Jesus is making and who he is. The passage finishes with verse 7, where Jesus says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, Jesus is saying that knowing him is the same as knowing the Father. He was claiming to be God. That was a bold claim he was making with his disciples and to the world and to us. When we put our trust in Jesus, we're putting our trust in him to believe him that who he says he is, he actually is. Now, what does it mean to know the Father? And this is what the disciples are wanting to do. They're wanting to know the Father. And and John uses this word, knowing the Father, knowing 141 times in his gospel. It's an important word for John. But what does knowing? There's four different levels. Um, according to John and in scripture that we see of knowing. One, there's just knowing a fact, right? We can know that exercise is good for our health. That is something we can know. Two is a little bit deeper level of knowing, understanding the truth behind the fact, right? Well, exercise is good for your health because it helps your cardiovascular system. It helps your muscles work better, right? Now, number three is a knowing that's believing in a person, relating to them. And and that could be a belief that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that he is the son of God. And there's a fourth way of knowing. This is still relating, but it's a deeper relationship. It's having communion with them. It's a deep connection. So it's not just, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but I have a deep connection with him. He is at the center of my life. I'm putting my trust in him. And in John 14, this is the type of knowing that John is telling us about that we can have with Jesus himself. Now, the important thing I want us to take away from Jesus' claim is that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, but it's a relationship. It's not believing in Jesus as an idea or as a philosophy or as a way of being. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's actually having relationship. It's going from that fact about Jesus, about what you know in your head, and actually connecting with him in relationship. See, it's not just a a philosophy, right? A plus B equals C, right? The Bible could have been written that way, but it's not because God wants to invite us into connection, into relationship. 
And we know that relationships can be messy. Relationships can be difficult to define. Relationships can be mysterious at times. They can grow cold. They can become hot. And, and this is why that we need community to walk with us because we're not meant to do it alone. So Jesus is inviting you into relationship. He says, I am the way. Jesus is the way because we all get lost. The disciples are discouraged. They're feeling lost. They've heard Jesus say he's leaving them. This was not in their agenda. This was not in their plan. Now, have you ever been lost? Like really lost? Now, it's it's harder and harder to get lost today if you've got your phone and your GPS and your Google Maps. But um, back in the day, for those of us that uh, were around looking for places before those things, I had gotten lost um, several times. And when we're driving, this was in the U.S., um, I don't know why it is that guys struggle to ask for directions, maybe more than, than, than ladies do, but that's been my experience Erica was always much more willing to ask for directions than I was. I don't know if it was a pride thing uh, or an ego thing, um, but there is some humbleness that has to come to us if we want to ask the way. We can do that with Jesus. We can say, you know what? I am lost right now. COVID is thrown me for a loop. I don't know when this is going to end. I, I don't have an end game planned. I don't know when my kids are going back to school. I don't know when I can see family. Um, it's been hard to connect in this virtual environment. These are all ways that we can get lost. And believe me, I have had those same feelings and experiences really these last three years. And we can come to Jesus and say, I feel lost. Be the way for me. Show me the way. Let me relate to you as the way. Because we're relating to the way as a person. See, the truth is, is that Jesus says he is the way, but he is also the truth. In order to pick up the truth, we have to set down a lie. Now, it's good to ask questions in our faith. There were three of them um, in between... Uh, in. John 13, Peter asked Jesus, why can't I follow you when Jesus tells him that he's going away? Um, Thomas in verse five says, we don't know where you're going, so we don't know the way. In verse eight, which we didn't read, Philip asked, Jesus, show us the way to the Father. The disciples who knew Jesus very well are asking him real questions. And sometimes I think, what if the disciples hadn't asked? We wouldn't get to see them in this questioning of their faith. We might not get these answers for us today. So it's always good to ask. Ask God. Ask a pastor about, hey, I don't understand this in this passage. Ask somebody in your life group, a life group leader. Um, we can ask questions in our faith. We can ask them directly to God, which we can do in our prayers. Um, but we can also look for resources to answer these things. See, what did the disciples believe about the Messiah? See, when Jesus said he was going to die, they're like, no, 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 don't do that. Remember, Peter says, no, surely not you, Jesus. And, and Jesus says, no, get behind me, Satan. See, 
this was an inconvenient truth to the disciples because when you followed your rabbi, you walked in their ways, you did what they did. And if your rabbi was saying that he was going to give his life, that meant that that would be an expectation for them. And Jesus, in fact, says that each of them will have to pick up their cross. They're like, I don't want that. See, their ideas about the Messiah were, you know, this is going to be a good thing. We're going to learn great things. And we like being around Jesus, but the Messiah is going to be glorified. The, the Messiah is going to lead us to, you know, throwing Rome out. The Messiah is going to lead to victory, not to the cross, not to sacrifice, not to washing each other's feet, not for unending, forgiving people they had to be willing to set down those lies in order to pick up the truth about who Jesus is. And we have to do the same. We see the disciples did that. Each of them, though struggled, though left Jesus in his time of need, denied him, betrayed him, we see each of them come around to believe that he is the truth. And most of them gave their lives to Jesus because of their faith. Now, what is the truth that you have to pick up about who Jesus is and his truth? Chances are it's connected to a lie that you might believe in. Maybe you believe the lie that you don't measure up. Maybe you believe the lie that if you act perfectly, if you do perfectly, if you study perfectly, if you're in the workplace perfectly, that you'll be secure, that you'll move up the chain, that you'll be promoted, that you'll get into the best school. And maybe that doesn't always happen. Maybe you believe that if you have enough faith, you'll never fail. Maybe you believe that you can have it all. You can have two masters. You can serve God and serve money and not have that impact your life. I know in my biggest times of growth, there's been something I've believed about myself that was a lie. I can remember when I was younger and I didn't believe that I was truly loved by God, that I was affirmed and validated for who I was. So where did I look for those places of validation in friends that would lead me even further away from God with the choices that they were making? And we can struggle at different stages of our lives for me, at that young age, it was for validation. And where do I fit in? And I don't want to not fit in with other people. And if these friends validate me, then that feels like I'm secure. But that really was not secure. That was fleeting. I had to be willing to give that up and, and turn to Jesus in a way that spoke truth and life into my world at that time. At different life stages, we might have different lies we've picked up. Maybe that finances will bring us security. Maybe that if we're academically successful, then we'll really matter. Maybe we're looking for validation in our relationships. If I just have this relationship, then my life will mean something. The thing is that all of those things can be taken away. We can lose them all. And chances are, many of you have lost something of significance. 
perhaps even in this COVID season, perhaps you've lost a loved one, you've lost a job, you haven't been able to do the things that bring meaning, you haven't been able to be in school in person. Many things we've lost in this season of COVID. And those are usually good things. It's good to be able to see family. It's good to be able to be in person. I'm not saying these things aren't good. But sometimes we take lesser things and we try to make them secure. And when those things aren't secure, we try to double down on them just to make sure we can feel secure. But apart from Christ, friends, we will not be secure. So what lies might you believing that you need to set down to pick up Jesus's truth? He wants to be your truth. The, fir- the third claim, he says, I am the life. An abundant life is found in surrender to Christ. See, the disciples knew this. Back in John 6, Jesus had given some hard teachings to the crowds and the crowds were like... I don't like that message. That is hard to do. And Jesus asked his disciples in this very vulnerable moment, he says, will you leave too? And the disciples say, where else are we gonna go? You have the words of life. Even though they had questions and they had doubts, they knew there was life in Jesus. His teachings were hard, but they knew there was something there that meant more to them than anything else. See, in Matthew, Jesus says this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And Jesus himself lives this out. He gave of his life. He had just had a meal with his disciples and he tells them that my body is going to be broken. My blood is going to be spilled. He wrestled with the father in the garden to say, is this really the way it has to go? Can you take this cup from me? Jesus was willing to give his life so we might have life. He served his disciples with all he had his whole life. Whether it was an acts of, of compassion or washing their feet, of bringing them comfort or going to the cross. He surrendered his life for his mission for them. See, surrender is such a powerful posture in the kingdom of God. When Jesus surrenders himself, it opens up heaven. And if you are interested in opening up heaven, of bringing heaven here to earth, if you are interested in that type of life, in that light, in possibilities of hope, of living the kingdom of God, earth touching heaven, then it begins with surrender of your life. Surrender in your Workplace, surrender in your home, surrender in your school, surrender to what Jesus has for you in this season. I love this quote that I saw this past week from Danielle Strickland. It says this, the way that you open heaven in scripture is very clear. It happens through acts of surrender. It happens when you let go of the life you want and let God direct your life for what he wants. We've had a lot of surrender these past few years. And sometimes it's been a forced surrender because we've had so little control. Jesus invites us into surrendering to him. 
See, sometimes we, we can think of our Christian journey as delayed gratification. I'll sacrifice now be for the reward of heaven. And friends, that's, that's a half-truth. That can be insidious because that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says that you can have life right now. Heaven can be on earth right now. Not that everything is easy, not that you don't have struggles, but your life can have meaning and purpose and fulfillment. You can experience God's presence here and now, even in and maybe especially in a difficult time. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and he invites us into that daily journey with him. I believe following Jesus brings the best life possible, not the easiest life, but the life with the most meaning, the life with the most richness, the most depth, and Jesus says you know what? This is not easy. You need to pick up your cross. You need to forgive others. You need to love your enemies, right? And these are not easy things, but we can see in life when we don't forgive, right? It eats away at us. When we have hate in our hearts, it, it brings internal destruction. And Jesus says, you can live this life out now, not in your own strength, friends, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you keep reading in John, in this chapter 14, we can do this through the strength of the Holy Spirit, church. And that Holy Spirit is available to us right now, today. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we need you, Jesus. God, I just invite your work into our church, into us as individuals, into our families, to our homes, our workplaces and our schools, Jesus. I know that you care for us. As you comforted your disciples in their moment of stress, you bring your comfort to us, God. And we know that peace is not found in the absence of problems, Jesus, but peace is found in your presence. So bring your presence now, I pray, in your name. Amen.